When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Welcome back to Green and Growing on 95.5 WSB. It's a beautiful Saturday morning. Ashley Frasca back with you. Thanks so much for tuning in. All right, I got something fun for you here. Gorillas, elephants, zebras, and monkeys living at Zoo Atlanta, may not be able to just go out and grab their own food like you and I do. But now Piedmont Park is bringing food to them. So yummy menu items are an exciting new project, which is a win-win for both the park and the zoo. Here to talk a little bit more about that partnership are Campbell Kassab from the Horticulture Department at Zoo Atlanta and Erica Glazner, who is the Community Involvement and Events Manager at Piedmont Park. And you know her as a longtime friend of Walter's and an author as well. So welcome both of you to the show for the first time. Thank you. Campbell, I'm going to start with you. How did you guys find this need? I mean, I'm sure the the animals aren't starving by any means, but how did y'all find the need thinking this is something we could be doing to better provide for their dietary needs? I guess starting out, you know, browse, uh, what what I do is um, is more characterized as like the leafy plants, um, the trees and the shrubs that we have all all around us, especially growing in the state of Georgia. Um, So before I started doing this, uh, towards the beginning of the year, I came into the the full-time position. The animal departments here at the zoo would get their own. They would go out um, and cut material on grounds. We had um, some local partnerships, some smaller local partnerships been working with. Uh, so it's something that we've always uh, tried to provide, but providing a little bit more consistency is something that the zoo has, has wanted to do. And so that sort of brought about me being in this position full time. Um, and then, you know, we, we met up with Piedmont Park. I, I was sort of just thinking, you know, how can I provide better for the animals um, and just provide a little bit more um, consistent material? different things like that so you just start thinking about what are the green spaces where does stuff grow in atlanta and luckily we're in a place that um you know a lot of things grow um so i I reached out to the park and erica was gracious enough to help us out what a wonderful idea because you think erica y'all have got so many folks on the staff and you have that need for volunteers too there at piedmont park just removing limbs and debris and replacing plants and things like that would those things otherwise have been composted absolutely and let me just start off by saying I think Campbell has the coolest job title as the browse technician, if I'm, if I'm correct. Is that right, Campbell? That, that's pretty accurate, yes. So in our case at the park, and this is through Piedmont Park Conservancy, that's really important to distinguish because we are the support group for the park. So I work for the Conservancy, and when Campbell and I met, we walked in the park, and there's a list. And it's really pretty important that the animals, whether it's the elephants or the zebras or whoever they are, don't get the wrong thing. So 
Unfortunately, they don't eat English ivy, so that would be a win-win for us, but they do eat bush honeysuckle and iliagnus and some other plants that we consider invasive in the park. Mm -hmm. So we were very excited about it. We labeled the bags. We've done, I think we've had three decent-sized pickups where Campbell Mm -hmm. has to pick up the materials when it's fresh, get it back to the zoo, and then distribute it to the animals. It's been an education for us as well. We have wonderful volunteers that really globbed onto the project and got into it, and we get rid of the invasives. The zoo gets to use them for the animals. It's a win-win. Now, that was news to me that the English ivy can actually be poisonous to the animals, but what about kudzu? Do you have much of that in the park? Unfortunately, we do have kudzu. It's an urban forest, so that's a good point. We have to maintain an urban forest. Otherwise, it will just be ivy, kudzu, and other invasives. But, Campbell, you've never told us they could eat kudzu. No. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, you're you're correct. They do not eat kudzu um, and, and in fact most vines that we have here in Georgia in general are um, are toxic at some level to the animals so that's one thing we have to watch out for is you know how much vines and other material are, are growing it within um, the thing that we want Wow that's interesting so Erica brought up a good point just then as well Campbell that um, the turnaround I mean are we talking same day when everything that is cut mm-hmm. from Piedmont Park is still fresh for the animals? Yeah, so that's that's a big thing with most everything that we cut. Um, most of it is going to be picked up uh, by myself and brought back to the zoo, to the zoo and distributed uh, same day. Sometimes I pick it up. I will. Um, I'll pick it up the next day, depending on the weather. As it gets hotter outside, things dry out really quickly, and the animals uh, they end up won't won't eating them if they become too dry. It's a fast process usually. Um, I'm picking up and coming back and getting it to the department as, as quick as possible. Talk to us really quickly about what the process is of dinner time or lunch time for the animals. How many people yeah. are involved per animal to get them fed? Our animal uh, teams, they range from, uh, I want to say, around four or five people. Um, on up, they get a little bigger, but they're generally around that, that size, uh, depending on the day. So uh, those, those teams are, you know, combining the browse. Sometimes they'll, they'll keep some from the night before and or the day before and use it in the morning um, to incorporate with the, the diet that they have. Um, and then they'll also incorporate it throughout the day. When I drop it off um, midday to afternoon, they're able to use that through the rest of the day to help with, uh, with training if they need to or um, whatever, uh, whatever kind of things they need to use it for as well as just a, a part of the diet. So they can use it, you know, as well if they need to um, help with medicating certain animals um, with different things. They, they, they like the browse enough to, to help with that. Wow. Um, so, and Erica, so the Piedmont Park Conservancy is really a shining example nationwide of what can be done when the city just works so closely with such a great staff and within the community like you all do. So to your knowledge, is there any program like this in any other major city where the zoo works together with a large park? You know, that is a great question. I re- not, not that I'm aware of, but um, now maybe people can let us know if there is. But it's, it's a, a logical to collaborate with other nonprofits such as the zoo. And my question would be, how were you able to determine which animals could eat which species of trees and shrubs that, of the greenery yeah. that were? First of all, we use the uh, AZA, um, the Association of Zoos, and aquariums, uh, they have certain sets of standards to help 
show which species are generally accepted uh, for which animals, which are going to be toxic to which. Um, so we use their recommendations for that, and we try to use the recommendations we go as close as possible to um, amount recommendations for browse for certain animals. But when it comes to species, we also do our own research. Our, our veterinary staff does our own research. So we have our own approval process for, um, for each, each species of, of plant material that we'll feed out. I, it's to me it's it's a pretty it's been a fun project and um, we see it as ongoing. It's just a matter of timing it so that we're labeling the bags, the lawn bags, getting the right plants to them and getting them to them quickly. So that does depend on the volunteers I have in the park. But we foresee this going on for a while. And I want to know what animal surprises you the most of all your animals that eat something you never thought they would eat. <laughs> Um, you know, the gorillas are a little bit surprising to me. They've, um, they really enjoy coming in at night, um, into their, their, their indoor habitat. They will, uh, they'll have a, a lot of the browse inside there just buffed up in different places. And, um, they get visibly excited. They come in, they play with it and they start chewing on it and stuff. So that was sort of surprising to me just to see, you know, you can really tell that they're excited to see the greenery and I don't know, you know, rising back of outside or, you know, it's, it, they, they enjoy it. So that was something um, nice for me. But, but truly, all of the animals, um, you know, they have a visible reaction to the, to the plant material when, when they see it, when you go to feed them. Um, you know, they go towards it when they use it and they put it out in the yard for them in different places. They, they go straight to it a lot of times. That's amazing. Forging a brand new partnership between Zoo Atlanta and Piedmont Park with this exciting new opportunity for both of you. So, Campbell, I want to give you a quick moment here to tell folks what's going on or maybe what's new at Zoo Atlanta. We've got our uh, African Savannah that's, that's been open for a little while now. It's a beautiful new space, a huge yard for the, the elephants, um, and, and the giraffe yard is, is beautiful. Um, I would say, you know, we, we are doing a lot to make sure that uh, our visitors can stay, you know, healthy and safe while they're here. So I would encourage people to just go online, you know, get a reservation. All of our uh, tickets are going to be sold based on time spots. You know, we have a certain amount set aside for members to uh, still come to the zoo. And then um, I'd say keep an eye out. We've got some volunteer opportunities. Keep an eye out online and, you know, hopefully moving forward, we'll have more opportunities to uh, work with uh, more local partners and getting browsed. More online at zooatlanta.org. And Erica Glazner, Community Involvement Manager at Piedmont Park. What do you guys have going on? And you're always looking for volunteers, right? We are. We have volunteers on Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and then I accommodate groups at different times. So for the Piedmont Park Conservancy, just remember, with over 200 acres of your free park open every day, it takes a lot to manage that. It's our cooperation with the city that makes it happen. We raise, we're required to raise $3.5 million a year. So if you want to find out more about how to volunteer or what's going on at the park, just visit piedmontpark.org, and you'll find out about the Conservancy, our volunteer opportunities, like this wonderful thing we're doing with the Browse Project with Zoo Atlanta. Campbell and Erica, thank you so much for taking the time to share this new and exciting story with the listeners. Yeah, thank you 
Channel 2 Action News meteorologist Brad Nitz predicting a 0% chance for rain today. It is going to be hot, though. High of around 94, though it may feel a little warmer. Lows around the mid-70s. Tomorrow, a mix of sun and clouds with an isolated thunderstorm possible because it's summer in Atlanta. High of around 92 and low around 75. Back with Erica Glazner of Piedmont Park and the Conservancy. Thanks for sticking around, Erica. You ready to take some more calls? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. 404-872-0750. Kathy in Smoke Rise. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Ashley. You? Oh, we are so great. How can we help you this morning? I've got two uh, camellia plants, bushes, that were professionally installed year before last, and they've never bloomed. And this year, they've got these black, crunchy things where I would think a bloom would supposed to be. And it's black and, you know, it doesn't fall off. And the the bush is healthy and green and growing, but it's just crunchy like a leaf. Erica, what does that sound like? So does it, does it puff up? Hello. Does it look, (laughs) does it look like a puffed up leaf? Kathy, could you hear Erica? No. Oh, no. Okay. She was asking if it looks like a puffy leaf. Like, is that what it looks like? Oh, let me run downstairs for a quick look. You know what? It's probably a gall. They get a gall. It's a distorted looking thing and there are no blooms. And it might be caused by a fungus. The best thing you do is cut those off as quickly as possible. Okay, so remove the galls from the entire environment, right, Erica? Put them in a bucket, take them yep. away. Yep, in a garbage bag. And that's so that's caused by a fungus. Could she use something like daconil or something, a fungicide? I would just, no, I would just prune those off. And if you wanted, it could be a secondary thing. You could have had some scale that you didn't see, but she says the foliage looks good. You, you could try a horticultural oil spray, which okay. is non-toxic. Okay. Good. All right. Up next, Linda and Woodstock. We've got about 30 seconds for you to ask your question. Good morning. Good morning. My question is, I have a uh, blue rug juniper on a slope. And my question is, obviously, I planted it for erosion. Uh But the the limbs, I guess, seem to be getting long. But the middle seems to be kind of... uh, Empty, not doing so well. Did I plant them wrong? Like, can you tell me a little bit about planting a blue rug juniper on the slope? Yeah, I would. I doubt you planted them wrong. They just, they might have gotten. I don't know. Thinned. Did you crowd them? Are they right next to each other? Did you put them a couple feet apart? I made sure to do several, like six feet apart. Okay, that's good because it does spread, and when you when it needs to establish in the beginning, watering is key too. Would that would that do anything, Erica? I would say watering and mulching, and it, maybe you want to do some fertilizer, but not right now at this hot time of year. Maybe well, I would do some fertilizing uh, in the fall. All right, well-drained soil, Linda, and it prefers something a little on the dry side, but keep it well-watered in the beginning. Erica, thank you so much for all of your time this morning and helping folks out. My pleasure. And how can folks find out more about how they can help Piedmont Park? 
Just go to PiedmontPark.org, and the Piedmont Park Conservancy has wonderful options for volunteering. And, of course, we would love for you to make a donation to help keep the park beautiful, green, and sustainable. All right. You all can see Erica at Piedmont Park when you go to help volunteer. We'll be right back with Pike Nursery at the bottom of the hour. Stay tuned. You're listening to WSB. Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. If you haven't been outside yet and you're inside enjoying the AC, it's already up to 80 degrees, guys. It's 836, 80 degrees, and it's going to get hotter. It's going to get about 15 degrees warmer. So do what you need to do outside right now. We opened the show at 6 a.m. talking about watering, and really it's best to get out there and water early, water now, and water deeply. You really want to water deeply. And I got a good message from um, Alan Sanders, who is often on this station doing some shows, and he listens every Saturday morning. And he said, you know, we learned about a raised garden bed project, that those need to be watered much more often than things that are in the ground, in the garden. And that is so true. And also be keeping an eye out on your lawns as well. You can't forget to water them. Water deeply, at least an inch every week. Don't do short intervals of a little bit of water here and there. One long soaking about once a week should do you just fine. And also, Kathy in Smoke Rise, if you are still listening, so I think Erica was answering your question about what was going on with the camellia, and y'all weren't able to hear each other really well. So what Erica, you were going to go outside and check what it was, but she thought it was a, a leaf gall, a flower gall, which is very common on camellias and rhododendrons, azaleas. Back in the early summer, a gall was often identified as like a leaf that looked almost a lighter green color than all the other leaves, and it was puffy. It swells up. But then once it gets past that stage, eventually the gall blackens and then turns hard, and the galls occur like right at the leaf or flower bud break. So that's why you're seeing that hardened black spot. And luckily, the good news is the disease doesn't really cause significant damage to the plant. But what Erica's advice to you was, go out there this morning, Kathy, before it gets too hot and just start to pick those galls off. Don't let them drop on the ground. Remove them all from the area and you should be just fine. So I want to make sure you got a good answer there. You'll get your garden question answered as well if you call 404-872-0750. But of course, at 830 every Saturday morning, we are joined by Pike Nursery to talk about what's new and exciting in the store. And I've got with me Kara Mulvey, the manager of the whole Bridge store. How are you this morning, Kara? I'm good. How are you? Uh, very good. Thank you so much for joining us. So tell us yeah. where the Holcomb Bridge store is located. It's located off Holcomb Bridge Road in Alpharetta. It's near Johns Creek and Roswell, um, right past 400. And that store has been there quite some time. Yeah, I would say about 30 years, I believe. Yes, absolutely. So y'all have got so many beautiful displays right now, and there's still so many colorful annuals and things people Mm -hmm. could be picking up. And, oh, my gosh, patio furniture, all the fertilizer and soils that they could ever need. But what do we want to feature? Something really easy for gardeners this weekend. We're going to talk about um, the new Sky Series from Monrovia. Um, It's a type of daylily. And daylilies are great because they are super easy in the garden. Um, They're perennials, so they come back year after year. 
Um, they have an extensive root system, so that just means they're really hardy, um, and they're pretty drought tolerant once they're established. So after that first year, if you get them nice in the ground, use a root stimulator, um, they'll be great for your garden for your years to come. Now, a couple of weeks ago, actually back at the end of June, on my Facebook page, Green and Growing WSB, I did a week of featuring a different lily every day. And this Daylily the Sky series from Monrovia is not one that I had a picture of. So tell us the colors it comes in and how it looks in the garden. So you have five different varieties. We have um, Titan Sky, which is a frilly flower. It's got kind of a corally pink color with a yellow center. Then you have the Radiant Sky, which is my favorite, and it's kind of got like a blush pink with a maroon center with also a yellow center, Um, and it's got a frilly edge, too, and it's got a really, really big bloom, and it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, You have Saffron Sky, which is just, it kind of looks like the Stella Diora color, Mm -hmm. um, but it's got a frilly edge, and it's got a much bigger bloom. Um, And then you have your Stormy Sky, um, that is a soft peach color. And then you have your Radiant Sky, which is a beautiful um, ruffled rosy red color, and it's got a deep yellow center. So all very dramatic colors, and it sounds Mm -hmm. like all the flowers look really feminine, like you said, with that frilled or ruffled look. Yeah, it's really, really pretty. Um, And they just have the biggest blooms out of probably most of the daylilies that I've seen. So daylilies, as Kara mentioned, perennial. They come back every year. They can get 12 to inches, 12, 12 to 18 inches tall and wide, so you have a nice little grassy mound right before they bloom. So we talked about varieties and kind of which colors we want, maybe what, what variety we're interested in, and then the care. What do we need to do to the soil? Um, you want to use, we sell the pike planting mix, which would be great for it. Um, and you want to use your 50-50, so really try to amend your original soil in. It'll help um, the roots kind of get established. And you want to use a starter fertilizer. We sell um, Dr. Earth uh, Root Zone, or you can use Biotone. They're both great products, Um, and you want to put it in the soil as well, and it'll help kind of get those uh, roots going, especially when they're blooming and the plant's putting so much energy to that bloom. So I look forward to putting a picture of these up on the Facebook page so folks can see this really delicate, beautiful, feminine daylily that you're talking about. And Kara, we need to head to Pike Nursery this weekend. There's not a lot we can be doing outside. It's so hot, but we could be shopping in the AC, picking up what we need or maybe fungicides, any kind of insecticides that we may need. How do folks find where your stores are located? Uh, They can go on pikenursery.com. And we have a store locator on there. You can type in your zip code and it'll find your closest store to you. Perfect. All right, Kara, thank you so much for joining us this morning. And we look forward to seeing those beautiful pictures. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Have a great weekend. You too. Thank you so much. 404-872-0750. Just another few minutes to answer your lawn and garden questions and I so appreciate in the last hour Erica Glazner being with us we didn't want we didn't have a chance to uh, answer as many questions as we would have loved to but always good to hear from her and of course what's going on at Piedmont Park 404-872-0750 Bob and Monroe good morning welcome to the show good morning Ashley hey what's going on uh, we got some Craig Myrtles they're drying up they got black black stuff on the leaves. We've got no blooms. We've only been in the house three years, and we've had four of them, and only two have bloomed, and not really, not real good either. 
Now, what could be happening when you see that black, it's sooty mold. And so that's kind of a coating that's coming from aphids and insects that are on the crepe myrtle. And that's kind of what they're excreting as they crawl along is the sooty mold. So that causes, you know, issues for the crepe myrtle for sure. But it doesn't interrupt the bloom process so much. But you're just really not seeing as many blooms as you would like, huh? No blooms, but I mean, we've sprayed since the leaves because we had this problem last year. Mm-hmm. We started spraying Seven Dust, Malathon. My wife's got bear products, and, and we got white flies on a couple of them. You could just, when you spray it, it just, they just fly everywhere, but uh, she calls them white flies. I don't know what they are, but. Yeah, the insecticides are key for getting rid of those, and especially the aphids. Like you said, the sooty mold almost could be so much sometimes that it really chokes out you know the 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 limbs and the branches and the trunks from being able to breathe so getting rid of those aphids and also just the fact that you know the neighbors may be blooming and it's prolific and it's colorful and yours isn't and that's quite common in crepe myrtles that's one of the biggest frustrations gardeners have with those is looking at the one you know in the shopping center down the street all of them are blooming and they look great and then yours don't so that's kind of environmental too just some years are better for some different varieties than others and i've heard that the lighter colors i don't know if there's any truth to this but the the lavenders and the whites and things they're going to be able to bloom a little more prolific than the deeper pinks and the reds and things like that so as far as it not blooming much bob i don't think that's anything you have any control over but getting the aphids in check is going to take care of that sooty mold so we need to spray every day or No, go ahead and follow the label directions on the on the Bayer Advanced or on the Bio Advanced products. Um it shouldn't be that often at all, but make sure you're doing it, you know, at the right intervals and at the right time of the year, which yes, if you're seeing that sooty mold and the aphids are present, now is the time to be doing it. So keep up with that and then check back with me, let me know. That should really start start to subside since you've already been doing it. Is there anything it. I can put in the soil that can help? I don't think so. A lot of the insecticide products, you don't really need to use something systemic that's that's a drench or anything like that. Just spot application with that should be fine. All right, Ashley, appreciate you. All right, good luck to you, Bob. I know y'all want to enjoy those crepe myrtles for sure. All right, 404-872-0750. Doug in Griffin, thanks for calling Green and Growing. How can I help? Hey, Ms. Ashley, how you doing? I am real good. How are you? All right, honey. Look, I'm going to plant my second crop of corn already for November. What do you think about that? Is that okay, or you think I'm kind of crazy on it? I think it may be a little early, but is that what you've done in years past, or are you new to it this year? I'm doing it this year because of the weather. Why? I thought, you know, I thought the weather was going to be cold. You know, it's going to come off cold in November and December. You know, and it's so tough. Yeah, it's so tough to predict. I think we need to look at the uh, farmer's almanac for that because you know, last winter was so mild that a lot of folks are afraid that this winter is going to creep up on us and be awfully, awfully cold. That was my honest question about: should I go ahead and do it, or should I just put it off? What do you think? I don't going to go on your on your blessing. <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't want the success of your corn to be dependent upon me. Um, you know. This is this is kind of a lackadaisical answer, Doug, but I'm going to say do what you feel is right. If, if you think that now is a good time, it's just more on you to make sure it stays watered and to keep up with the pest management as well, you know, because you're going to be facing that still for another two or three months at least. 
So um, as long as you can promise me that you're going to water good, I'd go ahead and try to get it in. Because I do. I kind of had that gut feeling that we are going to get an early cold snap this year based on nothing. I haven't looked at the almanac, but I'm kind of thinking that. Named, I haven't named it, honestly. But yeah. I've, I've been hearing it, and all of us are talking about it. Mm-hmm. But. I figure I'll go ahead and it won't be a waste no matter what. I either plant it or I don't. I hope it grows. <laughs> you know, I like that attitude, too. You'll never have what you don't try, so at least you're going to be giving it a shot. What else you got going in the garden? Oh, too, man. They got, they got everything but cucumbers growing. Okay. All right. Well, I'll give you some of mine. I've got about three that are in development right now, and they're looking pretty good. Yeah, we left cucumbers alone this year. Let, let the ladies handle that part. Yeah, you know, and you got to try different stuff, too. You get bored of trying the same thing every year. All right, well, Doug, so here's what you do. Plant the corn when you're good and darn ready to do it. Will you check back in with me in about a month or so? I sure will. I'm I'd, I'd love to hear back from you and let me know. Okay, hon. Thank you. All right, you. have a good weekend. So good to talk to you. 404-872-0750. Going to take a break, check traffic and weather, and then back with more of your calls. You're listening to Green and Growing on WSB. So much left to do in so few minutes on the show here. A quick weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. No chance of rain for today. It's just going to be hot, high around 94, already creeping in around, let me see, 80, 81 degrees. It's gone up two degrees in the last 15 minutes. Tomorrow and Monday, though, you're looking at a chance for isolated thunderstorms, but still highs in the low to mid-90s and lows around the mid-70s. 404-872-0750. A few more of your calls before we wrap up the show. Good morning to Stan in Sweetwater. How are you out there, Stan? Good morning, Ashley. Pleasure to talk to you. You too. How can I help? Well, I heard your uh, previous caller talking about aphids, and I just wanted to give your listeners one of the best tips I've ever gotten. And I had aphids earlier this year on knockout roses and all over my tomatoes, and I used a homemade mix of just baking soda, olive oil, and dishwashing detergent in a little half-gallon hand pump-up sprayer, and it completely eliminated the aphids. No more aphids, no more honeydew, no more ants, no more sooty mold. It's gone, and it's the best tip that I have ever gotten. And I've been a landscape manager for over 30 years, and I've used spectricide and seven and everything else you can imagine. Wow. This This little homemade remedy... I guarantee you 100% it will work. Yes. This I promise the listeners. And something like a, a dish detergent like you're talking about, that's a surfactant, so it removes oils from the surface of the leaves as well, though. You know, it's a degreaser, so you got to be careful what you apply it to. But as far as like a waxy coating, like the outer layer on a lot of insects, using something like that suffocates them. So now how did you do it? Did you say you put it in a spray bottle? Yes, I mixed it up in a gallon jug. The mix rate that I gave is for a gallon. And I have a little small hand sprayer, a little pump-up sprayer, holds a half a gallon, real convenient, easy to use. And I just put put it in there, shake it up as I use it, and it will stay mixed. And it will totally eliminate the aphids completely. All right, give give me your recipe one more time for folks maybe like, oh, I want to write that down. Okay, the recipe is, one tablespoon of baking soda, one half of a teaspoon of any mild detergent, 
and two and a half tablespoons of olive oil to one gallon of water. And as you said, the olive oil is going to um, uh, coat the surface, the the, uh, the um, dishwasher detergent, as you said, is the surfactant. And you used and, so little, so that's good. You didn't use a large amount at all. No, no. Good. Uh, no. All right, no. well, Stan's Home Ingredients for a uh, a good insecticide. You could certainly try it and let me know, too, how it works. I love that. Stan, thank you so much for the call. Now, Stacy in Woodstock, I hate to do this to you, but you got to be quick. What's your question today? Ashley, thank you so much for taking my call. Yeah. I was wondering, I, bro- I woke up this morning and my heart was broken. Oh, I no. came outside and I saw the deer got to my... Um, potato vine it was just beautiful i had verbena in there and i was just wondering obviously i could buy one of those nets um oh and then they decided they didn't like my garden flocks they just took the top off oh and that (laughs) is a um, sign of deer for sure when the whole thing's gone there's no teeth holes in the leaves it's just completely munched off so um organic products like plant skid or bonide granular repellents sometimes work to repel or deter the deer they don't repel them but they at least deter them or deer scram and stacy i think you're right in in using um a netting as well but also look on walter's website walterreeves.com and type deer resistant and you'll find some plants maybe to plant instead that they just don't care for we gotta run it's been a fun saturday morning you can find more on wsbradio.com click on on demand and you can hear today's show have a great saturday When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.